You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got the whole crew with us, Kip Adams and Digital Wolf, on this Wednesday afternoon as we really go into off-season mode. The college football season ended on Monday night with Michigan beating Washington in the national title game. So we turn our attention to the off-season as the Bulldogs gear up for 2024. Plenty to get into on this episode. A lot of roster news uh, back and forth with the Bulldogs. I'll start with the national championship, guys. And, uh, Kip, uh, what did you make of how that thing played out and the fact the Wolverines are number one? It's a reminder that the line of scrimmage matters. I think it was pretty clear in that game that Michigan had the better uh, defensive and offensive line. They overpowered uh, Washington uh, basically from start to finish. We kind of saw that whenever they played Alabama. It was kind of like, a okay, uh, you know, they're built like that. And it definitely still rang true uh, against Washington. And, and honestly, at this point, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you don't want to win the Joe Moore Award because if, if you land that, um, I mean, you're probably getting humbled in the college football playoff. It's kind of rang true the last couple of years with Washington winning it this year. But they did not have the best line in that game. And... I think it, it kind of reminded me of Georgia's 2021 team, the team that's just built on a really dominant do- defense uh, and the line of scrimmage and, uh, you know, pair talented running backs. And you don't want your quarterback, you know, turning the ball over. That was kind of that 2021 narrative. That's kind of what I saw from from that Michigan team. And, you know, congrats to them. Uh, you know, they got it done. And they're the, the end of an era. Now, uh, I guess everyone's really going to earn it. Uh, whether you want to put any number of asterisks next to their title, uh, it, you know, it's it's on the back burner now. We could talk about uh, teams that are, you know, ranked 12 through uh, 14 uh, com- trying to battle for a chance to, to be in the playoff moving forward. But overall, I just think, yeah, you knew early on when you saw the lanes the, run- the Michigan running backs had and at the same time uh, the fact that uh, – you know, Michael Penix Jr. was kind of running for his life uh, from start to finish uh, that this game was going to be really, really tough for the Huskies to, uh, to really stay competitive. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure Donovan Edwards is still running uh, to this. He got a whole lot of room in that game. Ben, what did you make of how that played out and Michigan getting the upper hand? This might not make me many friends that are listening to this podcast, but I feel like the right team won the national championship this year. Like, it, it, you know, it was they would have been one and two, Michigan and Washington, they would have been one and two in the BCS. They were one and two in the college football playoff era, or the four-team era at least. They – you know, we're the two 14 and 0 conference champions. Michigan went 15 and 0. Like I, I realized there were a lot of Georgia fans that were watching the Alabama Michigan game, especially, but the semifinal game saying, man, this Georgia team probably could have beaten any of these teams that it was watching. But when a team goes 15 and 0, wins its conference, beats its, you know, Ohio State highly touted rival wins it you know wins the conference wins a playoff game against alabama wins the national championship pretty convincingly the right team won the 2023 national championship as hard of a pillow to swallow as that might be for georgia folks that were looking there saying like man i feel like georgia probably could have given michigan a game here in houston but um it was a fun ending to a a good season I, i thought i thought michigan really controlled that game to kip's point i don't know that the Joe Moore Award is a curse as much as maybe the Joe Moore Award committee needs to, you know, reevaluate what they're assessing when they're giving out the award. But I thought Michigan's front really controlled the game, really for the, I think Kirby Smart and Jim Harbaugh single-handedly changed the way college football thinks about how you can win national championships. Because I think for so long, the narrative was you have to have the best quarterback in the world and this explosive offense, and you have to be so dynamic to win national championships. And while Georgia has started to trend more in that direction, I feel like offensively, the last three national championships were won through defense. And I think that that had not been the way that people had viewed you win in modern day college football. And I think that for the last three seasons, Georgia and Michigan have done a really good job of proving, look, if you hold your opponents to less than 12 points per game, there's a pretty good chance you can win every single one of them. If Georgia fans are wanting, uh, you know, to look optimistically at how this year ended, no shortage of motivation for the Bulldogs. And I'm sure Kirby smart uh, when they go into 2024, knowing um, they just out on the playoff and uh, that they'll have something to prove going into a new year. Guys, let's get into the news around Georgia actually happened Tuesday night. You know, it's funny. We usually record on Tuesday morning, a lot of storms all over Georgia. We said, Hey, let's kick it back a day. And uh, guys, that probably says from uh, some cold takes because uh, former UNLV quarterback, Jaden Maiava uh, had committed to Georgia was committed to Georgia for maybe 24 hours, and then on Tuesday night, he flips his commitment to USC. Uh, As Greg Biggins, who's part of the 24-7 Sports Network, pointed out, you know, it's really not over with until he enrolls out of school, but certainly a change uh, of direction that none of us were anticipating. Kip, what do you make of this situation? Uh, The fact that it doesn't look like, at least at this point, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, uh, that Georgia is going to wind up with the UNLV quarterback. It's just recruiting. I mean, it doesn't change in the transfer portal. Obviously, uh, Georgia got him on campus and, and felt re- really good with Maiava uh, coming out of that. You know, he got home, felt good enough to, to let his, his circle know that he was committing to Georgia. But I guess, unfortunately, you know, not everyone in, in his household turned their phones off, you know. And, and at that point, Lincoln Riley's still able to communicate with him and, and talk to him and 
people don't really understand, you know, we talk about uh, different time periods in recruiting and you get into like the dead period. And sometimes people think, oh, that means that, you know, coaches aren't recruiting anymore. They're not able to call recruits. And that's just not true. Uh, the, you know, the phone call is still a method of communication and it, it's allowed uh, at, at, during that period. And it really at, at any point now uh, between recruits and coaches. And I think USC, Lincoln Riley, you, you know, you, you look at the situation there with Miller Moss coming off the, the bowl performance, you know, obviously a confidence boost for him and just them at the quarterback position, but still not near as settled as far as QB1 is concerned compared to Georgia, bringing back Carson Beck, arguably the best quarterback in college football that's coming back for next season. And so it is a different situation. You thought, you know, whenever he originally committed to Georgia, oh, uh, you know, uh, my office obviously buying into practicing against Georgia every day and, and getting better. And, you know, you never say never as far as this season, but obviously building towards next season. Now, you know, if he stays committed to USC and enrolls, you're, you still go, oh, yeah, makes sense. He has a chance to compete in the spring and possibly be, you know, the starting quarterback at USC this season. So I think he got himself into two really, really good situations. They both have their pros and cons. And right now, Lincoln Riley's, you know, able to kind of sell him on, uh, you know, the pros uh, at USC a little bit more. But like I said, uh, until he enrolls, I, I think Kirby Smart's probably still in his ear as well. Yeah, I, I would say watch this one until a decision is made and he is enrolled uh, in classes. Uh, ben, what about you? What did you make of how this situation has played out so far and uh, what it means for Georgia? Well, I believe the text message when Kip texted us last night, I believe my response was WTF. So I think that that was sort of sums up my general thoughts on what went down in this one. I've actually not, you mentioned the old takes. Uh, the cold takes, Jordan, I, I realize now I've got a, an article floating around out there that says the 30 new faces that are going to be in Georgia this spring. And I believe Jordan My or Jaden Maiova's name is on that list. So I probably need a potential update uh, with an edit editor's note on that one. But, you know, to Kip's point, that is recruiting today. I mean, I heard early in the week that this one was waffling back and forth. USC felt pretty good. Georgia all of a sudden felt pretty good kind of overnight. Um, look, you've, we've all heard the narratives around what the transfer quarterback market is like and what some of the factors are that are leading guys one way or the other. That's going to be the case for every transfer quarterback that you ever hear about, even if it's not a guy that's going to be a year one starter necessarily. I don't think that he's going with the intention of being a year one starter at either place. And I think that's what made the two choices so fascinating. I mean, to Kip's point, you can go to Georgia and practice against probably the most talented roster on a daily basis, or you can go to the place that develops and turns out Heisman quarterbacks or not necessarily USC, but Lincoln Riley specifically. And so you, you can't really make a bad choice to me in this. I think there was a lot of talk yesterday. Why would he choose Georgia? It's weird that he would choose Georgia. And maybe he had some of those same second thoughts and that's what was leading to some of this as well. But I think to get, you know, to the point that both of you all have made, this one's not technically over yet because until he's actually enrolled somewhere i know that georgia was expecting him maybe yes as you know recently as yesterday or today to be on campus to actually get enrolled but um i feel my sense is at this point if you're making that switch after having already gone publicly and made comments about the fact that you're excited to develop behind carson beck and you think it's a good opportunity to learn and things like that if you're 
sort of switching back off of that, you know, public statement that you've made, I feel like chances are he's probably going to end up at USC. I think that's the right read on the situation. It's going to be fascinating to see what Georgia does. You know, Kirby Smart has made it clear he wants to get the full scholarship quarterbacks going into 2024. They thought they had it, and uh, now they do not. So I would make sure and tell people who are listening to, this to pay attention to dogs247.com. If there's any more developments on this situation with Jaden Maava, we will have it there and let you guys know. Well, since the last time we recorded, we were talking about this before we started today's episode. A lot has happened with this Georgia roster, and it kind of feels like it's been weeks since some of these developments. But there's been more NFL draft decisions for Georgia players. Brock Bowers declared that was not a surprise. We think he's got a chance to be a top 10 pick, certainly going to be a first round pick and the top tight end taken. Cedric Van Pran also declared no surprise there as well. On the other side, with Georgia getting some guys back, defensive tackle Nazir Stackhouse is coming back, right guard Tate Ratledge is coming back, and offensive lineman Xavier Truss is also coming back to Georgia for 2024. So I'd say on the whole, some good news for Georgia and some of those announcements we sort of saw coming. I'll start with you, Ben. Just what did you make of this latest round of announcements, and specifically when it comes to the guys the Bulldogs are getting back? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway is that there weren't any real surprises. I don't think that there was anybody that decided to come back that made you say, wow, I really wasn't expecting that. And then I don't think that there's anybody that can't, you know, is coming back that you're saying, man, I really thought that he was going to go to the league. Um, you know, I guess the one remaining decision is Warren Brinson. So I, my real takeaway is why have all these other decisions been made, but it feels like Warren Brinson's decision hasn't been made. That's probably my main takeaway at this exact moment in time. But in terms of the guys that Georgia is getting back, anytime you can stay sh as strong as possible in the trenches, we just talked about Michigan and why they won the national championship this year. You can bring Nas Stackhouse back. You bring Tate Ratledge back. You bring Xavier Trust back. That's There's so much experience there along the offensive line and defensive line that's huge going into any season. I think any team that is successful, the, you know, find success the next year as they're projecting out, it's always because they had some guys on the offensive line and defensive line come back that ne didn't necessarily need to. Where it becomes interesting for Georgia is just Georgia's bringing in a lot of talent on the defensive line through the transfer portal, through the 2024 class. On the offensive line, there's guys like Michael Morris, Monroe Freeling, that it feels like these they have to get into the rotation more than they maybe have been up to this point. So I find it really fascinating in terms of, and it's a great problem to have, and it's not the first time that Georgia has ever had these problems, but you're looking at a roster in 2024 where it's like, all right, you've got a lot of really good young talent. You've got this really experienced talent. How do you, you know, sort of hand out the reps effectively and evenly to who, who needs to receive it? So fascinating problem for Georgia to have, but a problem that Georgia will probably always have as long as they've got Kirby Smart. With Warren Brinson, from what I understand, him not announcing is a good sign for Georgia in terms of him coming back. And I apologize to whichever outlet reported this, but my understanding was basically said, you know, that there's really nothing to announce. If he was leaving, he would announce. And if not, you know, he's coming back with the dogs, which I think is very helpful. Because to me, that defensive line is probably my biggest question going into 2024. And to potentially get him back, and we know that Nazir Stackhouse is getting back. And I was sort of surprised with how much 
praise he had gotten as far as his draft stock. I mean, people talked about him uh, potentially going off the board fairly early. Um, that is huge for Georgia. And like you said, Ben, for the offensive line, have um, some options. And specifically to get Tate Ratledge and Xavier Trust back, I, I figured for sure at least one of them was going to move on. Um, a good problem to have for C. Searles and company, and it's definitely something uh, that we'll keep an eye on. Uh, Kip, what did you make of these draft decisions? Anything sort of stand out to you? Yeah, just beginning with Brinson, I think just for us watching to make sure, because we, we're talking about news that's changing on a dime at, at every level of, of what we cover here at Dogs247. I think that the hard deadline is Monday, January 15th for the NFL draft. So if you're waiting to see if Brinson says anything or if he doesn't say anything, but yet the NFL still gets the paperwork, I think that would be the day. Uh, I agree. I think it was more of a, this is the small amount of time players have during an actual off season just to kind of reset. And maybe Warren Brinson's just taking this time to, you know, enjoy himself and just, you know, that body, you know, the, even the line of scrimmage, you, you take a beating uh, for most of the year. So maybe just him not thinking about football for a couple of weeks and, and just, uh, you know, getting a breather, uh, you know, not to make any assumptions or, you know, what he's thinking. But I, I just think right now it's don't don't assume anything um, and know that he's working on his time. But if he's coming back to Georgia, we'll know for sure next week. And I think, yeah, you you look at that line of scrimmage. Uh, that's a solid group on both sides of the ball. I, you know, bringing back basically four starters on the offensive line for, uh, you know, Carson Beck to come back to. I think, you know, he probably saw that and, you know, maybe played a little bit of uh, a factor in his decision. I don't think he wants to come back and see, you know, multiple starters being replaced uh, as far as his protection goes, even though. You mentioned guys that haven't started yet that are really talented. It's still got to be reassuring knowing that, you know, center is the only position you're going to have a new starter. I'm really, you know, really fascinated to see how, I guess, Jared Wilson does as the heir apparent to Cedric Van Pran. I think you mentioned draft declarations. And the guy started, what, 44 games in a row? Um, uh, he's probably, I mean, the biggest part of this this run Georgia had, I, I still look at Cedric Van Pran and go, I mean, goodness, where would Georgia be? You know, what happens if, if he goes down? You know, it's it's uh, an incredible run for him. And I think he's got a chance to be the top center in the draft. But for that to be the only position you're replacing on that offensive line, I, I, I just think that Stacey Sarles is probably, you know, really excited about what he has a chance to do next year. And as we just said uh, from the national championship game, that's where you really want to win. And I think Georgia is built to win at the line of scrimmage in 2024 and what appears to be a, I mean, no one will be talking about Georgia having a cakewalk of a schedule come, uh, you know, playoff seating time uh, this December. Take a quick break, come back, talk a little bit more portal news for the Bulldogs and uh, talk a little recruiting. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back, everybody. Well, I had a question uh, in the YouTube comments about cornerback going into next year. I was just going to address that really quick. Dalen Everett, obviously coming back as a starter. you got to keep an eye on him. And then it seems like the top competition uh, for the other spot is going to be Glenn Humphrey and Daniel Harris. And we can kind of take that into this part of the conversation. It's sort of hard to believe this, but since the last time we recorded – like Julian Humphrey was going in the portal, decides he's not. He's staying at Georgia. Really huge win for Georgia, especially when you consider what they've lost at cornerback with Kamari Laster moving on uh, and with Nyland Green going in the portal. Uh, so big to get him back. Additionally, as far as portal news, uh, two Georgia receivers, Nylon Morissette and C.J. Smith, wind up going to Purdue. Um, seeing four guys go to Purdue, didn't expect that. Uh, and then Georgia lands Michael Jackson, who uh, I know we're all excited. We've gotten a lot of uh, gifts uh, usage out of that. Uh, former USC receiver and punt returner uh, landing him and bringing him into Athens. So I'll throw it to you first, Ben. Uh, just what do you make of this latest portal news? And, and let's talk specifically about Julian Humphrey, getting him back and what that means for the cornerback position going into 2024. Well, for starters, to your point, I don't. it's weird seeing so many guys go to Purdue, and I'm told that there's no actual connection there. It's almost, I don't know who the first one was that made the move. Was it Nyland? Was he the first one that ended up there, or was it C.J. Madden, one of the two? And it, it's just, I guess, been a trend going that direction. Maybe them get, being able to get guys on visits for basketball games just creates a great environment to sell Purdue. Who knows? Um, 
in terms of Julian Humphrey, getting Julian Humphrey and Daniel Harris is back on so many levels. And we talked about this on the last podcast before knowing sort of what was going to unfold with all of that, you know, with the cornerback position. But losing Kamari Lasseter, who I think we've all talked about, is going probably will go down as one of the most underappreciated Georgia football players of all time, just because he was about his business and he was so, so good for so long. And now that he's going to be gone, you're, you know, replacing, I mean, obviously Dalen Everett got plenty of run this year, but him really assuming that number one role probably, you know, needs some continued development there this spring to make people feel comfortable with him in that number one spot. But having three corners, Daniel Harris, Dalen Everett, and Julian Humphrey all back when there was a lot of uncertainty around two of them being back is really, really big. I think you also have to throw in these freshmen. I think these freshmen are going to get an opportunity probably to take a chance at it. Ellis Robinson's the name that's going to be the most common and most popular, but I really do think that DeMello Jones and Andre Evans have a shot to play early in their careers too. So Georgia bolstering that cornerback room, I think will give, you know, Georgia definitely Dante Williams, their newest staff member, a lot of, confidence going into next year because if you lose julian humphrey to the transfer portal regardless of where you lose him to or even if you lose daniel harris to the transfer portal i think you start getting real nervous in terms of how thin and how young that room is so um that's you know that's probably the big takeaway is who you retained that you might not have compared to who you brought in even though obviously georgia had no issues bringing in some really good players that are going to be early contributors in the transfer portal too Kip, what did you make of uh, some of this news? And specifically, any thoughts on Michael Jackson coming in from USC? Well, I, I think you kind of have to look and see what Georgia's losing at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, with, with Lab McConkey off the NFL, you know, Marcus Rosemey Jackson as well. But also, you know, there was some question whether, you know, Arian Smith was going to come back and just kind of uh, overall that role. I, I think you, you look at, Michael Jackson's uh, ability and, and uh, short area quickness, uh, making plays in space. I, I think he kind of brings a little bit of that aspect, some explosiveness to the offense as well. Um, I, honestly, I think it's just about making sure that the the 85, you, you've got guys that can help you from the front to the back of the wide receiver room, every position room. Um, I don't think Georgia's going to lack for playmakers at the wide receiver position. I mean, uh, you look at Nitro Tuggle, a freshman coming in, uh, uh, Sokovi White, those guys have a, a lot of promise. What you saw from Anthony Evans at, at the end of the season obviously makes you wonder, gosh, we need to figure out ways to get him the ball. And then, I mean, we all talked about it. I mean, Dylan Bell's to set up. Uh, I mean, he looks like, uh, you know, a number one wide receiver. And I think he could be that for Georgia. Just knowing that and then knowing they also added Colby Young, I mean, that room is 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 definitely stacked. And then, you know, going back to the, the cornerback position, uh, I I have I saw enough from Ellis Robinson to say I would be worried as well going into spring if if I was competing to be that cornerback opposite of Dale and Everett. I mean, he he definitely looks like you know, a guy that's going to make a huge impact as a freshman, just like Malachi Starks did, uh, you know, uh, just like Caleb Downs did for for Alabama. He's got that kind of um, talent profile, mentality, um, just the, the complete package of that position. So, uh, you know, I think it was huge for them to bring back Daniel Harris and get Julian Humphrey going in the spring. 
but you have to remember there's still that second portal window window and if if ellis comes in and lights out uh they could still be fighting against other programs and who knows what the portal rules will be by the time that portal window opens we could be looking at the you know the ability to transfer within the sec multiple times which goodness uh that will set up you know a whole nother recruiting cycle uh after everyone's spring game is over so i, I think right now uh, you you have to be prepared for any situation and i think that's just what kirby smart is doing with this roster that's why he was bringing in another quarterback and it might still bring in another quarterback while they're still recruiting you know looking for defensive linemen the edge position is maybe the one question mark going in looking at this roster um but i think overall you got to be real excited about the guys georgia's added in this recruiting class in the transfer portal and knowing that Kirby Smart is not going to be complacent. He's going to continue to attack and, and add to this roster, knowing that you don't have to be at 85 until fall camp opens. So uh, if they're at 88, 89 going into the spring, I don't think you have to worry about those scholarship numbers. I, I think when all is said and done, they'll be probably right at 85. When it comes to Ellis Robinson, uh, there was a reason schools like Miami kept trying to push to flip him because he is super, super talented. Ben, I want to throw it to you. You had a chance to go down to San Antonio for a few days last week for the All-American Bowl. Several Georgia, future Georgia players, guys that maybe uh, we will see in future classes. What were your big takeaways just from what you saw specifically when it comes uh, to Georgia? And uh, maybe some names we'll know in the future. Well, for me, it was really a great op great opportunity to go see five Georgia signees that I hadn't had a chance to see in person. I'd seen plenty of K.J. Bolden, as we all know, and Justin Green being a local guy as well. We've seen plenty, too. So it was great to see them in, you know, showcase All-American settings to see how they are around other guys. But really, for me, it was a chance to go see Jordan Thomas to go see Nate Frazier, Nitro Tuggle, Nair Daniels, Chauncey Bowens, five guys that I had not actually been able to lay eyes on in person yet. In fact, I did a scouting report at the end of December, I want to say it was, kind of breaking down all the guys that Georgia brought in in the signing class. And I put an asterisk next to guys that I hadn't gotten to see because I think it's valuable to say, all right, this is someone that I've watched, I've talked to people about, I've seen on tape, and this is someone that I've actually gotten to see in person. And I got to remove five asterisks from that by going to, down to see those guys at the All-American Bowl. One person I came away really, really impressed by was Jordan Thomas. He's probably bigger than I expected him to be. He weighed in at 325 pounds. And in some cases, you might say, oh, he, he was heavier than we expected him to be, and that's a bad thing. In Jordan Thomas's case, I really don't think that's – it is a bad thing. He is just big. He's athletic. He doesn't carry a bunch of bad weight. He moves really well. I think he was the most – physically dominant defensive lineman that was down in San Antonio throughout the week. And there were a lot of really good options. I mean, LJ McCray was down there. Edric Houston were da was down there. They both had really good weeks as well. And I think they do some things athletically that, you know, other people can't do too. But I think when it just comes to sheer physical dominance, Jordan Thomas was the best defensive lineman that was down there. He's definitely the one that you walked out to practice and you said, Oh, 99, that's clearly the Georgia defensive line signee you could tell it right off when you got down to the field Nate Frazier was probably 
both teams, East and West, the alpha dog. And I think that term gets probably overused. But I went to the joint practice in the Alamo Dome on, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week. So it was both teams together, a lot of competition. They were doing a lot of one-on-ones. They were doing a lot of seven-on-seven, 11-on-11 type of stuff. And Nate Frazier was the person that everyone gravitated toward. People on the West team gravitated toward him when he wasn't in the play. When he was in the play, people on the East team were always chatting it up with him. He had a play where he came out of the backfield and made a catch in the seam for a touchdown that basically ended the the joint practice session. Both sidelines just ran to the end zone and started going crazy. I mean, he has a way about him that really just – makes people want to play with him, makes people want to play against him. I saw very quickly what Del McGee sees in him. I haven't had a ton of opportunities to speak with Nate Frazier throughout this process. And you notice right away, oh, this is why Del McGee likes this guy. I mean, he thinks about things in a way that a lot of other guys don't. Him and Chauncey Bowens both had some comments. And I'm going to write a story about this too, just a tease to Dog 24-7 as well, that – Chauncey Bowens and Nate Frazier both talked about the fact they came in in a three running back class. That can be very overwhelming to a lot of people. A lot of folks might say, I don't want to go play at a place that's taken all these running backs. And both of them said, look at the history of Georgia's running back room under Del McGee. People don't transfer. There's never guys that seem to have these just, you know, bad attitudes or whatever that might be that are toxic to the room. And every position room in America is subject to, someone being a bad apple that creates a little bit of toxicity within the room. We see it all the time across college football. Every team, no one is immune to it. It feels like Del McGee's room is immune to it. And the way that Nate Frazier talks about Dwight Phillips and Chauncey Bowens and the way that Chauncey Bowens talks about Dwight Phillips and Nate Frazier makes you realize that they are totally bought in to coming into a position group. And they both, they knew that Trevor Etienne was coming in as a transfer. Neither of them cared that someone was coming in seemingly over the top of them as they were coming in as freshmen, because they realized the culture of the room that Del McGee has created. And honestly, it wasn't something that I, when Chauncey Bowen said to me, look at it, I might, he said, I might be forgetting someone, but I don't think Georgia's had a running back transfer out of Georgia since Del McGee's been at Georgia. And I I went through it. I can't find anyone. If y'all do, please let me know. And it made me say like, it was sort of a light bulb moment for me where it said, man, Georgia does have a culture in the running back room that, and they've probably been used less. Like they've probably brought in more guys and used less than ever before. And somehow Georgia's retention at that position group is better than any position group that Georgia has and any position group that pretty much anybody has. So again, I got, I got sort of rambling on that for a second, but that was just a fascinating thing to me with Georgia having two running backs down there and just getting to see Chauncey and Nate both in person uh, again, I think that yet again, Del McGee did a really good job bringing in new running backs into the into the program. No, I, I think it was good that you talked about that. And I can remember, I think this might have been a couple years ago now, Kendall Milton talking about like coming to Georgia and understanding I'm not going to play right away. And those guys buy into that. And maybe Nate Frazier can kind of continue that nice little run that Del McGee has of going into California and getting some really good running backs. Uh, we will see. He definitely impressed down in San Antonio. Ben, I'm going to throw it back to you. We're getting ready for what looks like a really valuable, important recruiting weekend for Georgia. Just tell us about that, what's coming up, and uh, some of the names to know. 
Well, as we said before we started, this might segue into your basketball minute, too, because if you're going to the basketball game this weekend, I wouldn't be shocked if you ended up getting to see some of these guys. I don't know exactly what their schedule of events is going to be. But on Saturday, January 13th, uh, Georgia can start hosting guys again. On Friday, in fact, Georgia coaches can start going on the road during the month-long contact period until the beginning of February as well. But they're going to have a really solid group on campus for this first official or not official visit weekend, just junior day. I put in air quotes because it's not only juniors that are going to be there, but a couple of Georgia commits will be there. Justice Terry, Jaden Perlotti, Ethan Barber, and Bo Walker. They'll be, they'll be there as you would expect. The in-state Georgia guys are making their way to Athens for a big recruiting weekend. An Alabama offensive line commit that's also in-state, Mason Short. I know that's going to be a name that gets very popular around here because he's committed to Alabama. He's an in-state offensive lineman. He's now been on campus. I want to say this will be his third time to Georgia since October, maybe, maybe early September. Um, So he's someone that is definitely taking a look at Georgia. But when we look at the 2025 uncommitted guys that are going to be on campus this weekend, the in-state group in particular, it is a loaded year for the state of Georgia when it comes to the 2025 recruiting class. Elijah Griffin, defensive lineman, linebacker, Zayden Walker, wide receiver Travis Smith, who is only rate, he's only ranked in the top two, he's, I think he's in the top 220 or somewhere thereabouts for in the 24-7 rankings. That is a guy, a wide receiver from Westlake High School that is going to blow up this spring. I'm just calling it right now. If he's one of the top two, three wide receivers in the class, but when it's all said and done, um, I, w- I will not be surprised at all. Cortez Smith, Juan Gaston, a couple offensive linemen that are in state. Christian Garrett from Prince Avenue. Christian, I could keep going. What I will say is, Dogs 24-7, we're going to have a running list of everybody that's going to be on campus. So if you get over there, subscribe. Some of you, I know some people that are listening to this, don't subscribe. Go subscribe over there. There's plenty of recruiting news that's going to be coming this spring and starting already We've got a a strong list of Georgia visitors that are going to be on campus this weekend that we'll be updating throughout the rest of this week as well. So that's just a sampling of the names that will be there, but ton of in-state talent on campus this weekend. Kip, I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, we look at this and you're like, well, it's mid-January. You know, how valuable could these visits really be? But just how important can this be with some of these relationships Georgia is trying to build and, you know, hopefully trying to land some of these guys by the time it's said and done? Yeah, the last couple of times Georgia's had this uh, this weekend, it's been, you know, there's been a parade involved. It's been a national championship weekend. Um, they've kind of set that base for recruiting in the last two cycles by having them on campus. It's really important, you know, for this staff coming off this season where they were, again, a player or two away from being right back in it to remind these recruits that they're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, uh, they're not going to be having that type of event this weekend, but this is really when, you, you know, the focus flips. Uh, luckily for Georgia, and we've talked about this before, they had their recruiting class, you know, basically done, you know, mid-season, early season. Uh, there's benefits to having that because you can already start to really plant the seed and, and develop the relationships with these guys. They're not working from behind. Um, before in cycles that I've covered, you know, it was guys were like, I'm still trying to establish a relationship with Georgia. You know, I want them to recruit me as hard as the other schools. But you're not really going to hear that with these guys because, you know, they've already, you know, put the efforts in. These guys already have longstanding relationships. And I look at a guy like Jared Smith, you know, uh, guys in the state of Alabama, 
recruiting fans typically just roll their eyes. They're like, "Man, you know, uh, those guys aren't leaving the state. It's often true. Kirby Smart's one of the few coaches who's been able to really, you know, have some success in that state. But if you're looking at a guy in the state of Alabama that Georgia's got a chance with, I think it's Jared Smith. He's the number two player in that state, and he plays the position I think Georgia really needs to load up at in this class. And that's the edge rusher position. Uh, that's a position where we have a lot of questions going into the season, what type of production they're going to get from that position. And this is a guy that uh, Georgia's had on campus a uh, half a dozen times now, and he's going to be there again this weekend. He was there uh, for the South Carolina game during the season as well. Georgia's been on there from day one. I think that's one of those where you, you get them back on campus to start this year. You remind them of everything that, you know, he already likes about your program. You just make sure that that interest that doesn't wane at all. And you have them on campus with, with those in-state guys. And uh, and I'll, I'll echo Ben's statement. I mean, uh, you talk about uh, Travis Smith. It doesn't really matter what he's ranked. I think he's a top 150 guy if we're going to be specific right now based on what we know about him. But the wide receiver position in-state, it has been a struggle several years. Georgia's had to recruit out of state, across the country, to, to at that position. You have an in-state guy at the wide receiver position. Uh, you have to really put all your eggs into that basket to make sure that you know you're able to to really, really put your best foot forward. Because I just think it's rare you have a guy that's six four hundred ninety pounds, athletic as he is, and he's right down the road. So I just think it, you know. This weekend's going to be huge for those guys. And just looking at the offense, the numbers they put up uh, this season, and, and knowing that you have a generational tight end headed to the draft, I, I, I think that Kirby Smart and his staff will be prepared to to really show Travis Smith that his position is not going to be overlooked in Georgia's offense. They're probably going to put up some really, really big numbers this season. Ben mentioned earlier, be sure to go to dogs247.com throughout this week to get more on who is showing up and uh, some of the feedback from those guys after they visit Athens. Uh, Georgia men's basketball minute, really, really big start to SEC play for the Bulldogs that go to Columbia, Missouri. Beat Missouri 75-68, really impressive game. Got a 17-point lead, watched it get uh, cut down and found a way to win. You know, Russell Chiwa had his best game as a Bulldog. First double double at Georgia, 18 points, 11 rebounds. Guys, seven foot center, eight of nine from the free throw line. I still cannot get over that. And he was also five of five from the field. Uh, played really impressively. Back to back, one in a start to an SEC play for Mike White since he got to Georgia. Definitely a good sign, but they're going to have to try to. Keep it going on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, tip-off on ESPNU, playing an Arkansas team that is going to be fired up and has something to prove after a 32-point loss at home against Auburn, uh, the biggest loss that Arkansas has ever had in Bud Walton Arena. So definitely a lot to prove there. But, hey, shout-out to Georgia, 11-3 and so far this season, 1-0 SEC play. Andy Katz has them as one of the – uh, final teams out of the NCAA tournament uh, as of uh, right now with the resumes being what it is. So Georgia's trending in the right direction. I would encourage everybody to to watch that Wednesday night game. And if you're around Athens also on Saturday, go to Tennessee. You can check out some of those recruits probably, uh, as Ben mentioned, and you'll get to see Georgia play a very, very good volunteers team. 
going to wrap up the episode right there. I appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. Appreciate everyone who watched this live, everyone who is listening to this after the fact. Uh, make sure and go to dogs247.com for all the news that's coming in the next few days, the next few weeks, um, as we get a better feel for this roster going in 24, and take a look at how the 2025 recruiting class is coming along. Uh, make sure also to go to Dogs247 on YouTube. Go subscribe there. We've got all these podcast episodes. Uh, once we get to spring practice, we'll get Kirby Smart press conferences and player interviews, and we've got Mike White press conferences and Georgia men's basketball interviews there as well. So for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.